0: just send us an email. Use the contact button on our website, retirementunlimited.com, or just give our office a call. Our phone number is 951-684-7011. Each week, we discuss life's hard financial questions in the sections ahead. We try to be contemporary and provide information that is up to date. Now, in the first section today, we're going to talk about something that most of you may not really be aware, but there's all investment choices can be categorized into what we call this ESG. You know, Jeremiah, this is like alphabet soup, but it stands for environmental, social, and governance. And there's a lot of confusion going around as to what is an appropriate ESG fund. And like anything in the investment world, it it gets muddied. And yeah. there's a lot of different definitions as to what really is a, a pure investment in those particular areas.
1: Yeah, and these have become popular um, over the last probably decade or so. Um, yeah. You know, you, you have all the, all the stocks in the world, you know, is the first step. And then the ESG tries to narrow into stocks that are more environmentally friendly, you have, have better social practices, have better governance. Uh, I mean, diversity inclusion is, is part of that. And, and so as people try and put these filters on, they're, they're trying to get rid of the, I guess, bad actor companies. They want to screen those out. The, co- the
0: companies that they don't want to have, for example, fossil fuel is the primary target for a lot of people. They're saying, I don't want to invest in anything that is fossil fuel, or they do vice. You know, I don't want anything that is uh, alcohol, pornography, those kinds of
1: things. Yeah. And there's another overlay that people have with, say, firearm companies right. or companies that have certain human rights practices. Um, you know, there's, there's ones back in the 80s, a few companies got hammered on things like that and they've you know, cleaned up their acts, but there's still that idea. But the, the issue they're running into, these have become so, so popular. You know, a lot of money has flown into these, flown, flowed into these. And, and so with that, with with the funds that are there, the question is, are they really- um, Are they pure? Are, are they pure? Are they doing what they're saying they're doing? And then also the performance wise, are they better? You know, right. one of, the, pro, one of the, the arguments is to say, if they're better companies for humanity, they're going to do better over the long run. And you know, I don't know if the long run is 1,000 years or if the long run is three years. But I think the first question to talk about is is kind of what goes into these ESG funds. And you know, we've been reading a few articles and talking about this. But, but, but the first one is really interesting, is you might not be getting what you're paying for. Right. So you, you look at this ESG fund, and one of the ways they rate these is they call it relative weighting. So there's a there's a fund, an iShares fund. is called ESG Aware. Um, it's by a company called iShares. Well, some of the holdings in there include ExxonMobil, I don't know, Philips, you know, some ones that you would think would have big targets on their back.
0: You would you would say that they would not be included, but it is it's odd to find them in the mix. Right. Yeah.
1: And the reason they got there is because the people running the fund, they go through all the different companies and they rate them on far as as far as environmental, um, you know, the governance and kind of the social items and they give them a score. And whoever has a high enough score, they can include them in the portfolio. And so wherever that cutoff is. So you know, part of it is ExxonMobil, even though they're a oil producing company, they have, you know, quote unquote, greenwashed what they're doing. They, they, are, they are taking steps forward to be environmentally mindful. And so some ESG funds have included them saying, hey, you're doing a great job. You're a front runner relative to everyone else. We will include you. Whereas other people would say what is going on here uh, most, an-
0: most investors aren't going to look at the particular holdings they would look at the title so to speak the the outside package yeah. you know it's like buying cereal that is healthy but then you go look at it and it's full of sugar yeah. you know it's like wait a minute what what's actually in underneath the wrapper and i think this is what um, a lot of people now are starting to take a good hard look at and say are these funds pure. Are they, in fact, do they follow the doctrine and the dictates of the investors?
1: Yeah. And what what they wanted. And a lot of these funds, we'll we'll talk about performance a little bit later, but a lot of these funds, you tend to take a performance hit in choosing this fund. Yeah. So if you took a performance hit and you're getting less return, and then you realize you're still invested in Exxon, you're still invested in ConocoPhillips, I I could see some people being disillusioned a bit. So the first one we talked about relative, they just do relative performance. They rate everybody and they pick people above a certain line. The next is exclusionary. They take entire industries and they exclude them. And this is what I think most people believe ESGs are doing, that they are, you say, we're not in oil, we're not in tobacco, you know, and we've simply exited and excluded all companies in this category.
0: And I think a lot of investors, uh, when you ask them the question, okay, you have the option to do ESG. And first of all, you explain to them, um, these are the options that are available to you. Even they pause, they don't really know Okay, what companies are that I don't want to have in my investment portfolio, you know, uh, so you go down through it, and, and this is one of the problems that you have. So you have to be able to separate out and, and you have what we call this direct indexing, so to speak, Uh, the best way to do that is to buy direct companies rather than buy uh, funds, but you still have difficulty separating out, you know, separating the wheat from the chaff. So you have this 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 sorting that goes on, and the more you do that, of course, uh, the higher the expenses because the more background work that has to
1: be done. Yeah, and the just like you're saying, the extreme version of that is custom, entirely custom. Right. So one may say, I don't mind oil companies, I just don't want to be exposed to tobacco or alcohol companies, and so they would need what you said, a, a custom structure to say you're cutting out these companies, but you're letting in all these others. And that becomes expensive. When we jump to that, I mean, the expense of these funds, some of them are very low expense, you know, but they're not the custom ones. You know, they're the ones where they've made a choice, made a, a, I don't know called a moral choice, uh, but they made some sort of a choice at some point and said, this is what we as a fund believe in. And so we're going to index it and we're going to buy these types of companies. And if you agree with us, buy our fund, you know, that that's done well. Those are the lowest expense. But others are either custom or they, they just cost a lot because they're constantly screening out and reviewing and analyzing and ranking companies. Because uh, to your comment earlier, you know when you first bought the fund, maybe Exxon wasn't a part of it because their score right. wasn't very good. But as you go down the line, maybe they've made some improvements, maybe they've implemented some social programs, and Exxon maybe now gets into the fund. And one, the investor may not realize it, but two, somebody had to keep watching and ranking and so the expense of that goes up. So now you have potentially lower performance and higher fees. And it makes the industry question, you know, is ESG good for an individual? But also, is ESG appropriate to be included as like um, a 401k plan or something on those lines where you have a fiduciary operating your plan? It sounds nice that they're doing ESG funds, but if they're getting a lower return and they're paying more for it, do people care? Do, do they? Is it, is it yeah. important?
0: And the problem is, is, that you'll find the younger generation typically who don't have the money, uh, they're going to want to go into a fund. And a fund is going to be really difficult to so- separate out specifically what the client desires. Whereas if you have a wealthier client who invests, let's say a quarter of a million dollars to half a million dollars, that's where you, you go either in direct indexing or you buy individual stocks. It's a mm. lot easier to filter out those and get exactly what you desire and then then you're looking at a benchmark what benchmark do you do you compare your results with and in most these cases of course last year you know coming to the end of 21 and coming into 2022 we had a flip so a lot of your high-tech companies like microsoft and some of those they were they were high on the list for esg um, you know i guess you know acceptable but now all of a sudden they've dropped we've seen a dramatic drop but what rose to the top was energy companies mm. you know, fossil fuel and such as that so it's a dilemma for some companies because you know for some customers because you're looking at oh are you willing to accept a lower return to accept you know your principle of esg or do you have that kind of investment structure but are you willing to take a lot less return and i think you know again we looked at it from a rebalancing standpoint at the first of the year And a lot of the companies that were the what I would consider the ESG favorites got out of favor from an investment standpoint. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And we have a a provider that we work with that does individual stocks and they'll build a whole portfolio for our clients, you know, kind of a custom made portfolio. And they have that overlay. They can do that to say, we're going to pull out these types of specifics. And for some clients, that's meaningful. For others, they're just looking for performance. But to put a few numbers on this, um, you know, first quarter, quarter one of 2022. Um, You know, this isn't each ESG fund, but an aggregate of kind of looking at a bunch of the ESG funds together. Um, When the market went down about 5.6, it was kind of earlier this year, um, these ESG funds were down 7%. And so, you know, that's a 1.4% swing in just performance. And this specific quarter, the reason for that is energy was up roughly 40%. Um, You know, kind of year-to-date energy has been up. And so without energy, you know, even though everyone was falling, energy was buoyant to the rest of the market.
0: Yeah, I mean, large cap growth, which makes up most of those high energy, you know, the uh, technology stocks, I mean, they're off almost 30% year to date. And if you look at the large cap value, which would include a lot of your energy companies and manufacturers, which would be considered maybe unacceptable to a purist. Uh, they're only off maybe like five or six percent. So there's almost like two different markets. Yeah. And so the question is, you know, are you are going to be that sensitive to performance? You know.
1: Yeah. And the other thing I think it's really important to look at is when we think of energy, you know, we're thinking oil and gas, but a lot of those companies are working really hard. They they, they see yeah. the future. They're not done. Yeah. Like they see the future. They're sure. moving to solar. They're moving to renewables. They're putting filters on their stuff. So you know the idea that they're you know as a category horrible companies i think is a bit overstated
0: yeah i you mean know. again like next era is a utility company out of the southeast and they've committed to be completely carbon neutral uh, by 2050 and they're probably one of the larger uh, energy providers that has gone massively into solar and wind energy and some of these so yeah again, and so the- not, not all of them are going to be comparable, I guess Yeah,
1: and the question with ESG is how many of include that energy company, you know, right. and how many of them would still exclude it because it's an energy company. They just don't want anything to do with it, and that, right. it's a hard, hard line. Um, yeah, well, Well. if you guys have a question um, or something you want us to talk about in a future episode, uh, feel free to send us an email using our website or give us a call. It's 951-684-7011. We'll pick up the conversation after the break.
0: 8371. Or visit me, Randy Barkley, at retirementunlimited.com. Advisory services offered through Tricord Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Clearing through TD Ameritrade member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB.
1: AM 590, the answer.
0: Welcome back. This is the section of the program that we want to follow up with. Um, we talked about this a little bit in previous programs, but it's about how do you beat inflation? And, uh, Jeremiah, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal this week that I clipped out that uh, says stores have extra stuff and prices will plunge. This is probably the first hope, but it's basically retailers who have purchased items, but because of COVID and delivery issues, they haven't received these goods uh, when they wanted them. And they're now getting them. They're getting to their shelves. But a lot of these things are excess goods and from clothes to furniture to televisions such as that. And they're going to want, they're going to, the article talks about this will discount the prices because they want to move this stuff off the shelf to make way for new products. So this will be curious to see whether or not this comes true or
1: not. Yeah, which would be great. I mean, that's probably welcome news to everyone's ears. Sure. The idea that we would have some some drops in prices. Um, but some of this is comment is just wait right just just hold out Just be patient yeah we're gonna get through this and prices will come back down i have a, a a friend they they built a um a shed on their property and they were really happy they did it about a year and a half ago and you look at the prices now it'd be 50 60 percent more to build that same right metal metal right. shed um and so they they were pre-inflation but now in the midst of it they wouldn't do it now and well, it's the same thing with
0: yeah i mean the same I mean, we've done we did remodeling but it was four years ago and i i i you know, I hesitate to even consider what it would cost to do it now.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So people who are looking, you know, some of the stuff like food, you have to eat, you have to buy that. But items like a TV or items like, um, you know, household goods, if you can wait. I mean, and like we said, per that article, I mean, we'll see what comes true. But they're not talking, you know, three years or two years. They're talking months. Right. Yeah. So wait a few months. So that's one, I guess one way to beat inflation is just, just to wait on the big ticket items, just, just wait until prices come back down.
0: Yeah. I mean, for a lot of people are, you know, back to school. I know that when our kids were in school, I mean, you have, you have small children in school. I mean, getting prepared to go back to school this fall is a big expense because you go back and equip and clothe and, you know, supplies and things like that. So uh, try to get ahead of it. Don't try to wait to the last minute when uh, retailers will increase the price. So
1: yeah. If it pushes up. So I guess one option is wait. One option is kind of the opposite is is, is buy it before it goes up. <laughs> and so things like right. back to school supplies, you know, maybe those prices will be going up. If You see a see a deal or see a moment, you know, it could be something to lock in that price. The other one I always think is interesting with uh, times of inflation is what they call it shrinkflation. And you see this. It
0: is deceptive, isn't it? It is,
1: yeah. It, it shrinkflation is when you pay the same price but you get less in the the package. Whether it's a restaurant where we used to be, uh, you know. Eight ounce steak is now a six ounce steak, but I was—I don't know what the normal packaging of potato chips should be, but I'm always amazed when you open the bag and you look in and there's a you know, not, brand yeah, new bag, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's half full. And I imagine uh, with shrinkflation, one way they would do this is say, instead of the normal size bag holding, I don't know what's in a chip bag, but say 12 ounces or 20 ounces of chips. Yeah,
0: it's, it's, by, it's it, by volume, right? Yeah, I mean,
1: it's come but, down. And so there's fewer chips, even though it's the same bag. And so shrinkflation is something just to be mindful of, of um, as you're shopping, one comment that we've seen is is the major brands tend to do this first. The major name brands have the ability to give you less and you still buy it. Whereas you buy off brands, they tend to stick with the normal serving. So yeah, because be how mindful. many because
0: cons- I know on the shelf, if you look at it, it'll show you what your cost is per ounce or per pound or whatever. But you know, as a consumer, at, maybe it's because I'm I don't do a lot of grocery shopping for our household, but on occasion I'll look at that when I do shop. But most people don't, they'll just, they'll buy whatever yeah. the brand that they're used to and they'll they look at that. So it's, it's a subtle change, but it's a way to um, have the appearance that you're not buying something that's more expensive because of inflation, but you're actually getting less in your purchase, right? So, but,
1: yeah, so keep an eye. The other kind of strategy is if someone has not yet taken social security, you can wait for social security and delay that. Every year that you delay social security, you get an increase. 8% so,
0: folks, 8% yeah. increase.
1: And that's hard to beat. I mean, that's hard to beat anywhere. Yeah. So as you get you know, from uh, you know, the first time you take Social Security up until your full retirement age, so 66 and a half for most people, and then from there up until 70, every right. year you delay, you get an 8% increase. And so just one year of delaying, if your finances can provide it, it's an 8% increase. And that increase is, you get that increase the rest of your life. You get to keep that locked in value. And Social Security
0: has a cost of living adjustment. So as, um, you know, as inflation does impact, it will increase subsequent years by whatever the inflationary rate is, whatever the declared rate is by the federal government, so.
1: Yeah. The other one that, Randy, you have mentioned before, and I think is just a great one, is if you're leasing a car. Right. And Randy, you, you explained this, I think, really well before, if you wanna take this one. I'm just so impressed with the idea of, of how this could work out.
0: Well, we lease, because my, my wife drives to very low mileage on an annualized basis, so we have a low-cost lease. But during this inflationary time, when used cars have shot up so much, I went and took a look at my residual value on the buyback lease and I went well I can buy this car back it has very low mileage and I can buy it back and I am reducing the effective cost of replacing that car by about almost by 20 to 25 30 percent it's amazing I went talk to the dealer I said if I were to sell this car back to you right now what would you give it what would you give to me you know, for this car and it was I was shocked it was about ten thousand dollars more than what the residual value was wow. so that to me is significant in essence I know a car that we've taken care of, and I know what the mileage is, I know what it's, you know, I mean, it would be something that we would continue to use. Yeah. So again, it's it's just just a way of making decisions, right?
1: Yeah, that residual value is negotiated at the beginning of a lease. So anyone who's been in a lease, in essence kind of pre-COVID, and had that lease through COVID, and all these increased used car prices, that number has been the same, you know, it's been locked in. And so now, as the markets have shifted, you may be sitting in a position where you either keep that car, you buy it at the end, and now you have it, or just, buy it and then turn around and sell it again and then exactly. buy something new. You know, If you get a new lease, of course, the prices are adjusted. They're higher. So if you have to go from leasing one to leasing another, you know, you're know, you still going to be trapped in that same bubble. But but because you negotiated that at the beginning of the term of your lease, there's a number of people who are sitting in a good position that they have, in essence, equity in their vehicle, which is, right. which is odd.
0: Yeah. I think one of the other things we've talked about in previous programs is that if you have excess savings, you're just looking to wait, what am I going to do with my savings? Bank accounts are still... Um, you know, historically, very, very buy I bonds, and I bonds is a way that you can put money into a savings account. Again, you're limited to ten thousand dollars per person, but the rate is close to nine percent on mm-hmm. an annualized basis right now. It's a great way to take excess savings and just lock it away and put it away. Uh, this is money that you can reach in and grab out later, but mm-hmm. it is something that the government will uh, pay those pay those higher interest rates, for. and and you still have the you know the treasury or the the government support on those particular holdings.
1: Yep, and I, I bonds are, are so great. Um, people who are interested, there's a lot of articles out there you can read. Um, basically, you have to go to treasurydirect.gov. Is this kind of the website? And it's directly with the federal government, and you can purchase these. You have to set up an account and purchase them. But the the nice part about these is the the, the principal you put in it never goes less than it never goes down. You know, it can only go up from there, which right. is nice for a lot of people. Right. And right now they're paying like you said right around 90 percent. Which is a phenomenal return in this day's market. They're, they're limited. They never guarantee and
0: a guarantee the principal, right? So that's good. Yep,
1: you get it back. So by the federal government. The the last one uh, that I think's uh, really good one is just the, the idea of higher happiness. Kind of reevaluate your spending. If there's things that you know you've done it every year because you've just done it every year and it costs a lot of money and this year money's tight, um, think about not doing it and thinking about what joy you'd have elsewhere like i right. we have a number of friends who have pools in the summer we've been going to people's houses and we've just been swimming together and it's been <laughs> delightful you know to have all you know, the kids playing you know the grown-ups playing and it rather than going somewhere and paying for something we're simply utilizing what a friend has you know and and we found that that's a really good way to have boost your happiness you'll know, boost the fun without um, spending additional funds uh, to do it but I, I think it's a good moment to reevaluate the things you do and why you do them and the things that um, just cost and don't add a lot of joy to your life, you know, limit those, and maybe even try some new things. You know, go for a hike. Uh, right. you know, all all the things people did during COVID, but the stuff that um, is inexpensive but still adds a lot of value.
0: There's just a lot of there's a lot of ways that you can enjoy life without spending money. And I have found that uh, you know I'm I'm older than you, and I've gone through these times in the past. Back in the '70s and the early '80s, we had we had incredibly high inflation. And you just made alternatives instead of eating out, you prepared your dinners and you just have to discipline your time to be able to do that. But um, again, I don't want to you know, take away from going out and enjoying a good dinner, but having it, you know, fast food is there because people just they just lack the discipline to prepare their dinners and they go out and buy something. And if you compare the cost of what you get from a from a restaurant versus what it would cost you to prepare that food there's a big difference. There's a big difference in cost and you can reduce your overall cost of budget. You'd be surprised how quickly it'll have an impact upon your food budget. So anyway.
1: Yeah, that's good. And, uh, if we have time, Randy, do you have time for one more? Sure. So one more, I think is good. is the lifestyle creep. Um, and and most people look at this of, of, of what they do, but over time, your life has likely moved on, you know, from, from when you first moved into this home or this, 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 Place so that When you first got this job, your lifestyle has likely moved. And it's a good moment to reevaluate those things. It's, it's the idea right. of the same one with happiness, of of looking back and seeing, um, you know, is, is this still the best way to live your life? You know, is there things right. you could trim and keep them trimmed into the future?
0: And I think, it, again, just a reevaluation of what is your priorities. And it's also a good teaching moment for your children to see that um, where you spend your money isn't necessarily... The dollar amount but it's it's the happiness like you're talking about earlier is the happiness that you go forward to have more time with each other uh spend more time like in a board game or something like that you can trim the cost of your budget i i'm always i've never it never ceases to amaze me that when i sit down and go through somebody's budget i can trim off a lot of money and it doesn't it doesn't take away from their value uh, of life in other words the the things that are most important So if you'd like to hear from anything uh, of the subject matter, any more about what uh, Jeremiah and I talked about today, just reach out to us at retirementunlimited.com or just simply call our office at 951-684-7011. Until next week, folks, may you grow in wisdom and knowledge. Thank you for listening. license number 0518567. And Jeremiah Lee is a California licensed attorney and is responsible for this communication. Advisory services offered through TriCourt Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisory firm. Hi, this is Hugh Hewitt. Hey, if you're retired or approaching retirement, listen up. Retirement planning is critical to your financial health, and like choosing the right doctor, your financial planner must be able to understand your concerns, help you navigate through your retirement, which can be filled with uncertainty, volatility. Certified financial planner Randy Barkley has been assisting clients for 30 years by helping them understand all the information that to most of us can be overwhelming. Go to retirementunlimited.org or call Randy Barkley for a no-obligation appointment at 888-627-8371. That's 888-627-8371,
1: retirementunlimited.org.
0: Advisory services offered through Tricord Advisors
1: Incorporated, a registered investment advisor, clearing through TD Ameritrade, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB.